Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Alta Speed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Joining me is my co-host, Mr. Steve Ovens. Welcome in, sir. Good evening, Noah. How's things going up there? Steve, I've run my life off of a 37-amp-hour battery for the last week. That's what I've been doing. So you didn't have any servers running? No, they they were not running off the 37-amp-hour batteries, Steve. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> they wouldn't run very long. No, no, no. But, like, all... like So I've, I've gotten, like, side-attached, basically, like... A, think of, like, a barnacle, except it's battery, and it's attached to me, and I've been taking it around everywhere. So I charge my phone off of it. I've been charging my laptop off of it. I've learned that I can run a hot plate for four hours. I can run a TV all night. I can run a fan and a little strip of LED lights to make it feel environment and cool and chill. Very nice. And uh, how long are you... What was the point of the experiment? Well, it really, the point of the experiment, Steve, was I was challenged in a way. I was part of a group that they purchased a a Yeti 1500 Goal Zero. Are you familiar with the Goal Zero from Yeti? Why don't you explain it to the audience? Well, so it's, you know, in the same way that Yeti makes a dog bowl that's like $60, and I don't know who out there is buying their dog $60 bowls, but apparently Yeti makes one. They also make this device that is $1,800, and it provides 3,500 watts of power. Now, initially, it was kind of interesting to me because I had I was working with a group, and they used one of these to go make uh, to do a musical performance out in the middle of a lake on a boat. And so they couldn't run a generator because they didn't want the noise. And so they used this Yeti Goal Zero. And at first I was really intrigued by the idea. I think it's fantastic. Oh, you have this big battery and it powers and it, it's fantastic. They've also included Anderson power poles, which I articulate are the best 12 volt connectors man has ever created. They're genderless. They support up to 45 amps, actually larger. If you go with their bigger series, they're great little universal connectors. However, it's $1,800 for this box, and it's a box that is made by Yeti, and so you got to buy all their connectors, and of course, I'm sure if the battery goes out, you have to send it to them or get their replacement. I don't want any of that. Also, oh, by the way, the size of this thing is ginormous. It's like the size of a cooler, and you, they actually sell an accessory as a cart. Steve, if you have to have a cart as an accessory to move your 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 power center around, your power center is probably a little bit too large, and maybe it weighs too much. So I decided I was going to build my own. Now, to be fair, and we'll have links for you in the show notes, podcast.asknoahshow.com, there is a device that you can buy for like $200. There's a couple different places that make them. Uh, Vanamize is one of them. Powerworks is another. We'll have links for both of those in the show notes. So if you just want to buy a thing and set your own battery in, these will do it. I had a different approach. So I, what I did was I parted out the things that I wanted to run. Things like a particular kind of inverter. I wanted a pure sine wave inverter that could do up to 2000 watts so that I can power my, uh, well, anything is what I want to do. Uh, and I've, I've learned that I can power an air conditioner for a very short amount of time and I can power a hot plate longer than I thought and I can power a TV all night. Then I went through and found all of the little mounts that I want. So I want Type-C power. I want Anderson power poles for just 
dragging raw 12 volts out of the box. I want that. And then I want AC outlets attached to the inverter as well as a switch to be able to turn the inverter on and off. And so I added all of that up together and I mounted it inside of essentially a knockoff Pelican case. And so I'm experimenting with it a little bit. I'm going to see how far I can get right now. I've got a little 37 amp power battery that I'm using, and it seems it's do, it's doing way better than I thought. Long term, my intention is to, and I'll have links for this in the show notes as well. Long term intention is to purchase solar, or excuse me, not solar, lithium ion, lithium ion phosphate batteries and integrate like an actual lithium ion charger. And then I can charge up my little battery bank. And if I need to expand it, I could still get to 3,500 watts like the Yeti. I'll just break it up into smaller chunks. Am I crazy or am I on the road to power self-sufficiency? Well, power self-sufficiency might be a little bit of a stretch. All of it, Steve. The I don't laptop know how much and the cell phone. Uses. Maybe you missed it. Both of them are powered by this 37-hour battery. I think it's a neat idea. Um, I'm curious to – how much does it weigh, the Pelican case that you're toting Currently, on? I haven't put it on a scale. I'm guessing currently it's probably 15 pounds. Obviously, if I purchase – 3,500 watt hours of lithium batteries, it's going to weigh significantly more. However, comma, I would add that I would split those up into smaller cases. So instead of having like one gigantic cooler, I'd have a number of them and then I could just connect them together because I'd rather have smaller modular devices that are easy to move around than one big honking thing that I got to have four big, strong, burly men to lift up. I'd be interested to see if you could make it in a different form factor. Like, so I'm thinking about uh, keeping it in the truck as part of an emergency preparedness kind of kit. Mm. Um, and so in that case, we don't have a trunk, but the, the storage is under the seat. And so it would have to be longer than wider in terms okay. of that because you wouldn't want it rolling around in the bed. So the most immediate problem I see would be storing a lithium battery inside of a car in the winter is probably not going to work out well. Well, I mean, it's better than not having it at all. And the idea is... True. is at least in my case, the truck parked in the garage, so it's it's constantly oh, yeah. above zero. So unless, you know, I I keep a one of those small Ryobi hand pumps for your tires and stuff like that yeah. with a two amp hour battery in my truck all the time as part of the emergency preparedness kit, and that that little thing can do two and a half of your four tires from flat to you know. I don't know, 40 PSI or something. Wow. That's incredible. So, so yeah, like anything, anything along that vein. And then in the wintertime, obviously does less. Like, as you know, the capacity in the battery gets spent uh, much quicker when it's cold. But uh, so I, I, because I have this battery with me, of course, I'm not going to bother with my little two hour laptop battery. I have like a, you know, week and a half long laptop battery. Right. So I, I went to Buffalo Wowings and <laughs> I took my 37 amp hour battery that's in my little Lambo case and I set it on the table. And of course, at this point, you know, this is uh, what do we call Research and development, right? So I've not dialed it in yet. I'm still experimenting, Steve. And so I have these leads connected with little alligator clips, and I have it and on the battery, and then I've got it running over to a little DC, my little Type-C 75-watt uh, thing that I'm testing that converts 12 volts to 75 watts USB-C power, and then I've got a Type-C cable going to my laptop. The waitress comes over, and she looks. She's like, what uh, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's a bit of a science project, a little bit of a practical thing, but mostly I'm just trying to get on the internet. And she's like, we have Wi-Fi. I don't think you need, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'm sure it looked kind of weird, but it was fun. And I'm, and I'm making it way further than I thought. I thought this thing was going to drain itself in the first few hours and nothing, but like, actually turns out you get a lot of 
lot of juice out of a 37 amp hour battery. So anyway, that's been my uh, that's been my experiment, and I'm going to continue to do it and see how far I can push this. So far, what I've learned is I basically am, am going to be stuck with AC for the foreseeable future for heating things, cooling things, and moving things. Like, there's no good way to power a car electric. I shouldn't say that, but like not off of batteries that I can affordably do. And same thing is true for heating and the same thing is true for cooling. So those things are kind of out of my realm. But everything else I'm fine. It's, it's actually really shocking to me how basically everything in my life is already DC and we're just converting it from AC to DC at each individual device. Yeah, most especially electronics, they rely on DC. Um, AC is terrible, absolutely terrible for electronics. You don't want the you don't want the current going back and forth 60 times a second. That, that would be terrible for them. Should we get into some feedback? Absolutely. Our first piece of email or feedback comes in from David. David writes in and asks for a camera suggestion. Hey, guys, are you guys aware of a 2K or 4K camera which can act as a standalone device, such as store video on a memory card, a portable uh, not requiring mounting would be a plus. I'd like to store video on or off the web. The camera might operate in an area without Wi-Fi. Thanks. P.S. I enjoy the show. P.P.S. On the show, you mentioned that Wine Flatpak is a good option versus the direct install or a PPA. I'm using Mint and Ubuntu. So let's go backwards, Steve. What would you say in in response to how you would go about installing Wine? Uh, I guess it depends on my use case. Part of the part of the idea with the Flatpak is that other things have to be aware of it, right? So if you have some sort of bottle manager that can tap into the version on the Flatpak. Sure, why not? Um, honestly, wine doesn't. Hmm, I have to be careful with this. Wine doesn't really clutter up your system a lot because it's not really interdependent on anything else in the system. So you could just go in and nuke all of your wine um, installations and really not affect the anything left in your applications. Right? Anything that you install from your package manager will continue to work fine because there's no dependency on wine. So. Aside from, I have you know fifteen different profiles from Wine for all these different games. Um, I'm not exactly sure what Wine in a flat pack buys you over a deb, other than maybe easier updates or mm. something of that nature, something newer. As to David's camera question, I really like the Axis Twenty Thirty Five. So the Axis M Twenty Thirty Five is I believe a 4K camera and it absolutely has a SD card in it. And so you're going to be able to do what you're looking to do, which is to record the uh, footage directly to uh, the SD card. Now, where it's going to get... Oh, you know what? I lied. The 2035 is the 1080p. I'll put the 4K link for you in the uh, in the show notes. I don't remember the, uh, the model number off the top of my head, but what I... What the advantage of doing that and the way that we sell them to customers, we tell them, hey, you know what you can do is you put this up and have it connected to your NVR. If the NVR ever goes offline, then you're able to just pull the footage from the SD card. So it kind of acts as a backup, but you absolutely could do it. It's just the only thing that you have. One thing I might consider. So it sounds you said you might not have Wi-Fi. And of course, these cameras are going to really want to be hardwired anyway. 
if you're going into the kind of location where you're trying to capture a little bit of footage and pull it onto an SD card, in that scenario, I'm probably honestly not looking at a security camera and going more for like a trail camera kind of a thing. So the nice thing about trail cameras are they're only going to be active when there's motion or when there's something going on. It's They're going to be weatherproof if it's going outside and you need it to, to, to be weatherproof. And you'll be able to capture them on local storage because the entire things are designed from the ground up to be uh, independent. So I, I might consider those routes. Steve, anything to add to that? Hmm. It's a tough call. The The access cameras are kind of the security camera sort of thing, like you were talking about. A lot of people are looking more for something like uh, a Eufy camera or a Ring mm. camera or something of that ilk when they're talking about this sort of need. So I think the question becomes, what are we trying to do with it? How are you trying to access it? Uh, and ultimately, what is the longevity and where are you going to stick it? Because there's a bunch of questions here that, for example, the access cameras might go outside if you get the right model. Is that something you need? You pay extra for having something kind of weatherproofed. Is that something you need? We don't really know, right? So a, a bigger definition of what the requirements are here is probably more useful in opening the conversation because you know it's not an insignificant investment when you're talking about going with something like an access camera where even though you can get them on ebay the they are generally more expensive than like a eufy or a ring camera or whatever that absolutely that you know so it really depends on what you're trying to do and uh yeah there, there seems to be more definition that needs to happen in order for this conversation to be really fleshed out well. So I'll put a link to the access. By the way, I did track it down. It is the P3248. That's their current version. Now, what Steve was talking about, eBay, that's, that's really a nice little hidden trick, right? So if you just look at older models, Axis, one of the reasons I really like them, they push firmware updates forever. So we had some devices that went out of, uh, that they stopped making, back in 2019, they're pushing support for them out to 2028. So you'll still be able to get firmware and updates for them, which is great. And then once they hit 2028, you can always VLAN them off onto their own little world. And it sounds like you're not maybe even connecting there. So we'll put the Axis uh, P3248 in there for you. I'll put a, a recommendation for a trail cam for you. And if you want to get back to us with more information on what you're trying to do, we'll happily uh, take that as well. Uh, Chaz writes in and says, hey, Steve, why does NASA use Linux? I don't know why. Because you can't open windows in space. Or anywhere else. That's <laughs> <laughs> clever, Chaz. I appreciate it. Works on my box. Ask the Marlin bot. So actually, Marlin got some upgrades this week. We opened them up, flipped them over, did an overhaul, and we installed some new features to Marlin. So if you're not familiar with Marlin, he's a dude that hangs out in our chat room. He's an automated sort of a dude that runs on a DigitalOcean drop it connected to the Linux Delta server. And he watches for your feedback. And so if you message him or you tag him uh, to, to send feedback, he will do that. Well, there's a, he has a new feature. So the new functionality is if you see a comment that is in the Geek Lab that you're like, hey, they should talk about that on air or hey, they should they should mention that or respond to that, you can simply react to it with the newspaper icon and if you or with a newspaper emoji so if you react with the newspaper emoji marlin will say you think i should put that on the air you think no and steve should talk about that and he will respond with the green check mark when you click on the green check mark boom bob's your uncle it delivers it right in front of our face and so when we sit down to do the show next week 
will be able to do that. So as you're perusing the Geek Lab, now, I don't think this is going to work across the other bridge spaces, but if you're on Matrix proper and you react and you come across something in the Geek Lab that you're like, hey, I want to draw their attention to that. Simply uh, react with the little newspaper emoji and it uh, and then click on the check mark and it will bring it to the front of our attention. So. Works on my box said, Steve, I'm playing catch up on the podcast right now, and I'm in the middle of episode 309. I was curious if you were using simple login for the email aliases or if you're doing it some other way. If you're not using simple log, I highly recommend you to check it out. It's made by Proton. Actually, they bought it and it's covered under their paid plan. Steve, your thoughts. I have used it. Um, There was when I first checked it out, it was kind of one of those. Hey, why don't you try this out? And then there was an additional cost afterwards or some something mm-hmm. that I had to do. So I was only running it on a trial. Mm-hmm. It was fine. I, there's nothing wrong with that. I found that using a catch-all, uh, which is basically what I'm doing. So I, you basically turn on your email domain to allow you to get email to any anything at your domain. And then it sends it to a specific email box. Uh, that's kind of how we... We use it to track things like spam. So, for example, you walk into Best Buy, and it's also kind of priceless to watch them try and digest this. They're like, can you give me an email? I'm like, yeah, my email is bestbuyatsomedomain.com. <laughs> and they're just like, uh, uh-huh. okay. No, 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 we're but Best Buy. It really helps you figure out who's been leaking your emails as well. Because, uh, So, for example... Kickstarter is a terrible, terrible offender for this. Um, I continuously get emails from not Kickstarter, from just random, I don't know, random advertisers or people trying to sell you stuff that comes into that Kickstarter email. How would that that be? The only place you've ever used it is Kickstarter. Exactly. That's exactly my point. And it also allows you to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to block this now. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm no longer going to accept this. This can go right into the spam or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that works really well to kind of get separation. So it, it's not a true alias because you can't reply from it. You can choose which type of email you are going to reply from. So like in ProtonMail for specifically, uh, the plan that I'm on is 10 emails, 10 actual email boxes uh, per user. And so between my wife and I, we've got 20 actual boxes and we don't even use the actual boxes unless it's something like, uh, I make, I have a one for, you know, when we bought the house, there was all kinds of stuff that I needed to be able to reply to real estate and all the rest of that sort of stuff. So I made that an actual mailbox. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, if you're just replying from a an, an email, you can say, hey, my d- default when it comes into an unknown email box, so like the Kickstarter one, my default is reply from whatever email address you want. Like, and I've actually been using the Proton one because I can just, I don't care whether people spam that one because I don't use that one a ton anyways. Have you ever played with uh, sub-addressing aliases in Proton? I have not. <clears throat> so this is this is interesting. It's it's Proton's answer to solve the problem that you, you were kind of talking about to where you have uh, these other, you know, these, the, these other things. So what basically what you do is you put like... Sh- like let's say the let's say the 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 address is shop at mydomain.com you can add best buy plus shop like on the fly best buy plus shop at mydomain.com and then 
on on the flip side, it, it will accept that email because it knows to add anything to the plus. But then on on the flip side, you can go back and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hash that, you know, sort that back out. No, um, I don't. I I'd have to think about why there would be an advantage to doing that over what we currently do. Because when you turn on the catch-all, you can just you don't actually have to ever interact with Proton Mail. You can just say any random gibberish at mydomain.com and it will come into the email box you've specified. Yeah, the idea would be to sort it out later, right? So you could say like, hey, I, I'm, I'm on the fly and I want to create this thing. Then I, I, I just add the plus to it and I have an option for taking later on. Your feedback is welcome at live at asknoahshow.com. We invite you to do that or give us a call. 855-450-NOAH, 855-450-6624. Or you can join us in the interactive mumble room. You can learn more at minddripmedia.com. From the Linux Newswire Newsroom, this is the Week in Review with JT. For the week of July 30th, 2023, here's the Linux and open source news. Canonical has announced a real-time Ubuntu optimized for Intel Core CPUs. Due to ongoing frustrations with the AMD FTPM hardware random number generator, Linus has suggested disabling the FTPM hardware usage on CPUs that have the RD RAND instruction already. Open Media Vault has released version 6.5. The GNOME devs are working on a new window management system. The new windowing system would use a mosaic behavior by default with tiling capabilities. CIQ spins out its own Red Hat Ansible interface called Ascender. And Nginx has unveiled a new open source subscription. In open source hardware news, a team from MIT has tested an open source cooling chamber that uses 75% less energy than refrigerated cold rooms. Pixel Pump is an open source manual pick and place assist tool that's now available. Castmill, a digital signage software platform, has announced Castmill 2.0 will launch as open source software, along with featuring extensive overhaul and updates leveraging over a decade of insights from previous versions. In open source AI news, a coalition of half a dozen open source AI stakeholders, Hug and Face, GitHub, Eleuther AI, Creative Commons, Lion, and Open Future, are calling on EU policymakers to protect open source innovation as they finalize the EU AI Act, which will be the world's first comprehensive AI law. And in security news, adversary-focused cybersecurity provider SpectreOps has released a new version of its open source penetration testing software called Bloodhound to help open source users. The Abyss Locker operation is the latest to develop a Linux encryptor to target VMware's ESXi virtual machine platforms in attacks on the enterprise. Like other ransomware operations, the Abyss Locker threat actors will breach corporate networks, steal data for double extortion, and encrypt devices on the network. The stolen data is then used as leverage by threatening to leak files if the ransomware is not paid. To leak the stolen files, the threat hackers have created a Tor data leak site called Abyss Data that currently lists 14 victims. Akira Ransomware has expanded to Linux. Akira was introduced to the cybersecurity sector in March of 2023, which targets several financial institutions and organizations for stealing sensitive data. Akira has been using a Tor website for their communications with perpetrators and for posting the leaked data publicly if their ransom demands are not met from affected organizations. Cloud security firm Wiz has disclosed two severe security vulnerabilities in Ubuntu. They claim the easy-to-exploit shortcomings have the potential to impact 40% of Ubuntu users. And lastly, the FBI has warned that hackers are tapping open-source generative AI programs for all kinds of heinous acts, including developing malware and phishing attacks.
Joining us, it is Lewis Abel, the release engineer and lead for Rocky Linux, and Neil Hanlon, the infrastructure lead for the RESF and Rocky Linux. Gentlemen, welcome into the program. Thanks so much for having us. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. So I, I want to start back when Red Hat releases the news that they're making these changes to their code system. What is the reaction from Rocky and the and, and those of you that are on the RESF? How did you guys react to that news? Yeah, so I think probably even before that announcement came out, um, the night before even, we were all kind of wondering what was going on. Um, it was, I think, Wednesday, if I remember correctly, and we were like, why weren't there updates that came out last Tuesday? And there was like one thing that had trickled in uh, the, the Tuesday before. So we were kind of all talking internally, and, and one of our channels thought about, like, you know, is this just a, uh, a mistake? We knew about this, this bugzilla that had been opened by one of the Alma folks saying that there weren't updates coming to git.centos.org. Um, and so we kind of went to bed and uh, woke up more or less to, to the news of, of the, the change that we had announced to, to get us into us. Door. So as you can imagine, it was pretty chaotic, I guess, as we were trying to figure out what was happening and, and people were uh, equally asking us to comment on what it meant and what we were going to do. And, and we obviously didn't really have a good answer for, for anyone. Um, and yeah, I think after after initially kind of fielding a lot of those questions, we started to organize and, and figure out what this meant and what it was going to mean for us and, and how we were going to evolve and, 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 uh, and react to that. Uh, Louis, do you have anything else that I, I kind of missed there? No, I, I think I think you nailed it. I mean, I from my perspective, I was actually just confused, honestly. I mean, most yeah. of my most of my reaction was just confusion. The like before like when we weren't getting anything and then confusion after the announcement, it was just like, I, I just didn't understand. It was kind of, I was just very confused about the whole thing. I, um, I know some, I, I think for a lot of people it was like confusion and then all of a sudden to being upset, but I just remained confused. Like, well, why? Like, I don't, I don't completely understand. I mean, I, I understand now, but then I was just so just confused for days it seemed like so that's that that was my reaction my personal reaction to it did either of you have any idea that any of this was coming down the pipe like you said it was you know the night before you know a little bit before that you hadn't seen any updates come down the pipe was that something that you'd experienced before was there something else that you kind of assumed that well maybe this is why this is happening or was it pretty clear early on something has changed something is amiss there was there was something similar that happened about probably like I would say maybe a month prior where updates weren't coming in and the only reason why I realized it was I was I was doing something and get sent to us org for some reason I can't remember what I was doing I think I was trying to clone some like a fork of something that I had there and I couldn't commit and it was I couldn't commit because it was trying to send there was like some kind of like message queue thing or something that was trying to send and it was being kind of weird. And um, Neil had reached out to, um, I can't remember his, I can't remember his name. Fabian. Yeah. So he reached out to him to ask like, Hey, like what's going on. And so, you know, there was, there was actually, excuse me, there was actually a technical problem that they had to fix. And then the updates started like trickling back in. 
And so okay. my initial reaction to updates not coming in was like, oh, did another did another weird thing happen? Like I did a weird technical thing happen again that um that he needs to address or help with. And we just we just went to sleep because like, okay, we'll we'll just address this in the morning. Right. And then yeah. yeah, and it's definitely something that has happened or had happened before. I suppose is the correct way to say that. Um, and it's a, from what I understand, I don't have you know firsthand knowledge of this, obviously, but um, it, it's a rather kind of hacky process, dare I say, or it was a hacky process. How it, it was published there, based off of when uh, artifacts were published to the Red Hat CDN, and so it was always uh, at least from what I kind of gathered from the, the, the mind trust behind CentOS and everything else and my knowledge over the years was more of like a, or not more of it, sort of a best effort sort of uh, um, publication there. And, and it was a good signal that the packages were coming out, but it wasn't necessarily tied to the release. It was something that happened after the release of the packages and it could be delayed. We were aware that that was a possibility. So can you guys talk to us a little bit about what value Rocky provides to the to the wider Linux community that you that um, your community feels that Red Hat or CentOS or both uh, doesn't really provide for the community? I think one some of the things that we that we do does kind of provide a value to like some users and like, for example, uh, being able to and this might to some people, this may be very like minor and might not be a big deal, but uh, providing, for example, like live images, like if someone wants to run some enterprise Linux as a desktop, there's people out there who do that. I used to do that when I was uh, many years ago. And so having those live images, I think is very, very useful. Uh, Red Hat doesn't seem to provide those as, as far as I, I'm aware. They just have a single DVD installer, for example. We also have some special interest groups that are coming around to add newer kernels, not as not by default, but like have extra kernels, have extra packages that, you know, you wouldn't be able to find in other places or uh, maybe newer than what's like in other places. We also do Raspberry Pi stuff. Um, I think having that kind of support's pretty cool too. And and I I kind of understand probably why Red Hat doesn't want to do Raspberry Pi things, but uh, we have some like faithful people who are like really into that sort of thing. And so having that kind of dedicated group to do stuff like that is really cool. And yeah, I, th- I think you hit a lot of the same things I, I would cover in, in terms of our special interest groups and, and folks that are involved in, in these different projects. Uh, one of our security team leads is, is heavily involved in the uh, OSSEC project for OpenSCAP and has, I mean, he, he wrote the DISA thing, you know, in documentation stuff, and, and he's involved in all of that uh, processes. So uh, we have a lot of different interests, I think, that are part of our community, and it's always been my goal and continues to be my goal to uh, to drive the contributions inside Rocky to collaborate and be cooperative with upstreams wherever those are, um, whether it is open, uh, whether it is CentOS Stream and, and Red Hat, or it's Fedora, or it's uh, OpenSUSE, or a, another community that's tangential or, or related somehow as an upstream or, or, or not, right? Um, that's where we want to add value and provide value, and that's where I've been personally putting you know, my, my money where my mouth is, I guess, and, and going and contributing to those projects and um, being involved in CentOS Stream and Fedora and Apple and com- coming to the meetings for ELN, uh, 
and that's Eel Enterprise Linux Next, a continuous kind of rebuild of Fedora Rawhide using um, the config options that will become Enterprise Linux in the next version. From my perspective, we're providing value by adding a on-ramp to contributorship for folks that are on the side of, of Rocky for whatever that means. And I know that there's historically been a lot of kind of bad feelings and, and such between the community. I mean, and Lewis kind of hit it on the head earlier with being confused. Like, you know, I understand in general, I guess, why uh, these changes are made. But I think that where we're all coming from ultimately is wanting to be part of that conversation and be able to have time to work with Red Hat and manage the responses from our communities too. Because that's the other thing is as much as the response comes from our communities, we can in some ways help to tame those responses if people are getting very emotional and attacking people with their words and, and stuff that I've seen online. Um, I think we can help to tame those if, if those conversations are able to be had before decisions like this are announced. And I know I got off on the top tangent there, but... Um, no, I, yeah. I, I appreciate the information. Can you talk a little bit about what differentiates Rocky Linux from Ulma Linux or the direction that SUSE has? What makes Rocky stand out? Yeah, the SUSE's perspective is sort of a hard fork. Um, I was just listening to, to them on, on your show earlier this week. They're taking the perspective that they're going to take what they're doing and uh, and publish it and do do what they're doing with it right there. Not promising anything about the one-to-one -one compatibility, bug-for-bug -bug compatibility, whatever kind of buzzword I guess we want to really use. But I guess when, we, when it comes down to it, what Rocky is doing is just continuing on with what we were doing before. That is rebuilding the sources from, from Red Hat and producing a, a compatible distribution thereof. Um, All the Linux has taken a, a slightly different approach where they are remaining binary compatible to the extent that they can and will test to, and um, they're doing a great job, I think, in um, in working on that and, and providing updates to their users in, in um, accordance with that direction that they've chosen. But from Rocky, it's kind of just business as usual in, in some ways, other than... Uh, I think I, uh, the thing I will say is that, that this announcement certainly has um, reinvigorated a lot of us, myself included, on uh, working on Rocky Linux and upstream projects. Uh, but continuing to work on our open source build system, Paradot, where we have a second version of that that's coming out, or we hope will be coming out um, in the next year uh, as we're working on redesigning some of the core components of it to support features that we have grown into needing, um, as well as features that we are specifically adding um, to help the community that's using Rocky in the uh, post-announcement world that we're, we're now in, in terms of um, answering questions of where, like what sources we're using and where, uh, how a user of Rocky Linux can attest to the fact that those sources are authentic in some way. Speaking of sources, um... I, I read your initial, uh, I suppose, blog post when this all came out and wondered whether or not you guys have any a additional information about how you intend to obtain the source code going forward. I think the, the comment I will make is that the, the blog post outlined our strategies, and I, I guess I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how to answer either. I mean, we have multiple, you know, avenues that that we have that we want to, you know, utilize, but we don't have like a firm we don't have like a firm like yeah, for sure this is 
how we're gonna like always do it, right? Because everything everything right now is still in flux, right? So like nothing is set in stone. If you're a Red Hat customer, you have access to the source code. And so that's not a GPL violation because just putting it behind a paywall doesn't make it unavailable. You just have to be a Red Hat customer. So is that an avenue for you? Or do you see problems with it? I mean, I see it as an I see it as a potential avenue. Um, but there's also, you know, I but I'm also on that I'm also on that line of like, well, it could be problematic, right? You know, I, I can't really speak to, you know, potential like problems that could happen whether you know that's like that's legally or something like that like i'm that's that's not my world right like i'm just a, i'm just a technical person right mm-hmm. so i i'm you know i'm more of i'm more of just like i i kind of feel like i'm in the middle on that it's like i'm like part of me is like oh hey well at least we still have you know that direction we can we can go but what are the implications and a lot of those implications i hear but i don't completely understand if that makes sense yeah, I, I think I'll echo that even, like, I, I'm, uh, it really comes down to the, the classic phrase, I am not a lawyer, and uh, I think where some of this comes down to, and and it's not trying to be deceptive or vague or, or anything like that, but rather, you know, this is something that I am, yes, employed by CIQ and work on Rocky Linux, but I'd be doing that whether or not I was employed by CIQ or not. Mm. And so there are, I think, for me, it it's becomes kind of a personal thing to be asked such questions and because I don't know, as Lewis said, what the implications are there. And I don't want to be wrapped up in legal battles. I want to, you know, to be clear, I want to work collaboratively with Rock, with CentOS and Red Hat and Fedora and all of the upstreams to make Enterprise Linux a better, e- even better, because um, it's it's really good as it is. And Red has done a great job with everything that they've done from engineering to literally inventing, you know, new pieces of software and, and hiring folks that have created great things and I'll go out on a limb here and call system D great. Um, but, and you know, other things like Typewire and wire plumber and these things that have made my day to day using Linux actually possible versus where it was uh, a decade, a decade and a half ago. A lot of that has come from engineering that has come from Red Hat. And I want to specifically acknowledge that. Um, but we do want to work collaboratively. I personally want to work collaboratively with Red Hat. Um, and it's, I guess, difficult sometimes when we feel as though we are being maybe singled out or, or targeted or otherwise, whether that's real or not is, is another thing. But I, I think there's certainly been a lot of drama <laughs> In, in the past month and, and past two and a half years or so that we've been working on all this since since the change for CentOS Stream. And I think all of us would wish that it had gone a different way in many, many respects. But uh, we have to move forward in some, some fashion, and I want to move forward in a positive way. If you find a way to continue to obtain the Red Hat source material, are you okay talking about it or are you fearful that if you're open and honest about how you're obtaining the source that Red Hat would potentially pull the plug on you? I think it's a valid concern and one that I do have, but that's not going to stop us from being transparent and open about what we are doing. There's no use in being opaque uh, and any opaqueness I think that is seen is because we are figuring out 
how best to relay the information, I guess, and and also what the information is, right? Like Lewis said, there are multiple avenues that we're taking. And, and honestly, I, I hope that one of those or, or wish that one of those could be working with Red Hat directly um, for, for some of this, whether it's in a business relationship or otherwise. So I want to follow up with, uh, with some of that too. So I, I've heard you say a bunch of times that you want to engage with Red Hat and you want to work collaboratively with the community and so on. It seems to me that Red Hat has decided that if you want to work collaboratively with them, they've opened up a, a path of communication and that's where they're looking. So it's kind of similar mm -hmm. to what I do with Noah because Noah's all in an element and I'm, I have long <laughs> been on this show uh, kind of poo-pooing it. And so if, if Noah and I want to communicate, he had to make a way for that to work with Telegram because that just happens to be where I live. And I don't see that as much different than what Red Hat is doing and saying, hey, we still want con contributions, but the way we want it is through the CentOS stream pathway. And here's the way that we've kind of laid that out. And so I, I wonder if you kind of take the comedy out of it and just say, hey, one party is saying, well, we, we want to talk with you, but this is the, the channel of communication that we're accepting. Why not work through that process like Alma is attempting to work through? We, we are and have in the past. I mean, before even Jonathan has submitted that uh, pull request and he did a great job on it. Now, I have Bugzilla requests open for various things. I have submitted patches and have them pulled in to fix issues in CentOS stream uh, a, a few times now. So it, it's not as if we are not communicating and working in the way that they have indicated even before this announcement that we want that they want us to. The folks who say, "Well, just pull from stream," they they do have a point, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of that, a lot of what they do is is in stream and. From my point of view, stream is act actually gives me a good, clear indicator of of what to expect of you know what's coming up. You know the next uh, the next point release. Yeah, it gives, me, gives me it gives me a good, clear indication. I think where the the issue ends up being is there tends to be quite a few like software version rebases and such like that where those don't normally happen within the six months of a point release existing, right? So when Red Hat releases like a like a patch to address some kind of CVE or whatnot, that CVE may have already been addressed and fixed in some rebased version of, of Stream, which makes it difficult, which would make it difficult for my team, who's just this team of seven people who are in varying time zones and we all got day jobs, makes it a bit difficult for us to try to grok and grok that out and figure out what actually changed or or what happened. And and it, it also makes it a little more difficult too to see what exactly they've pushed out or what updates they've pushed out. When when we were paying attention to to get sent to org, it was fairly straightforward to kind of see like, oh, well, this update came in and this is what changed. You could see it in like a git commit. You know, you can kind of see the diff and kind of get a clear idea of what's going on. But for the cases of things like that, where I, I'm trying to think of a package example, and I'm having a hard time thinking of one. I, I saw this kind of recently where, you know, some CVE gets uh, addressed in the point release. And then later it gets, you know, addressed in like stream, for example, like later down the road, but it's addressed in some like updated version. And it's, it's, to me, it's kind of odd because it's, because we, we can't, 
from from our point of view, we don't want to just rebase that software version of like whatever there's in stream because that that kind of in my opinion defeats the the purpose of trying to to match for the most part makes it kind of difficult for us to be in line so i I don't know it's 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 kind of a weird line because it's like if if we had more folks like on our team that were able to like handle a lot of the stuff it might not be an issue to try to research that and grok it every chance we get but we you know i i'm like i'm just a single person you know i got a day job i you know i can't I can't be glued to my screen twenty four seven and and all that and it's it's I don't know it's 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 difficult it's there are there are th- there are development things that are happening in stream that are like rebasing versions that aren't actually happening for the six months of like for example like nine point two like you won't see some it's very rare to see a version of something just jump from like one to like two or something. Whereas that would happen in stream, it makes it would make it difficult for us to figure out. Okay, well, where in this is this fix? It's kind of really hard to like have a definitive answer for that. Yeah, I think the other side of it too, right, is when it is just one to one. Like you can literally just go pick the commit out of CentOS Stream because that's where the development happened. Like true to word, and it, you know CentOS Stream does what it says on the box. It is where rel development happens. It's just not universally true for every package for every release that happens in, in Red Hat Enterprise Linux because of those rebases that can happen to fix things. This is it's not a CVE example, but I recently opened up a bug for Grafana in uh, Rocky and Rel 9.2 because as we are rebuilding it, we happened to run into a, a ticking time bomb in. Um, in one of the tests that was hard coded to a date that we were building after. And so I went and opened a bug and I opened a, a merge request with, um, with Red Hat for this. And uh, you know, eventually it got fixed by a rebase and it wasn't really an issue for Red Hat. Um, but to their credit, the bug stayed open and it's being closed by that rebase, even though it's not even inherently a customer bug or anything that really was affecting Red Hat in any meaningful manner. Um, hmm. So it's it the process works. I, I think it just needs more people that are advocating for it, and I, I want to be one of those people that advocates for it. Um, and it's I guess uh, a bit disheartening when these sorts of events happening and the contributions and effort I am making feels as though it is not wanted or or wanted less just because I'm working on the rebuild project of it as well. And I know that's not true. Um, I I know enough people and and speak to enough people at Red Hat that that isn't necessarily true, that the contributions are wanted, but it's it's hard, I guess, to um, participate in that environment and continue to feel invigorated and, and motivated to contribute to that community when these sorts of large generalizations painting happen or announcements happen and all of this other drama infighting etc bad feelings bad juju gets passed around as a result Uh, it's not good for anyone really involved uh in the situation and that's what i think we all need to really remember about um working in, in these sorts of environments that we're all human and that we're all people on the other side. So it's, it's, uh, you know, something I have to remind myself of too. So your plan going forward is to obtain the Red Hat source files 
and then continue to base a bug for bug equivalent distribution. Can I ask what will your plan be going forward if Red Hat in any way prevents you from obtaining their source code? You know, we we we've talked about it. We've you know we've kind of like thrown paint at the wall, but nothing's really stuck yet, and it's we haven't really thought deeply about it, right? I mean, we. You know, we we've we've had well, a lot of. I think we've thought really deeply about it, but we've not uh, gotten anywhere. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, we have thought deeply, but we just haven't. We just never really have come to a, like a complete full consensus because because that is on our mind. I mean that that is definitely something that that you know kind of just lingers at the back of our mind. And you know, one of the thoughts I I had was like, well, you know, it's I mean, we're already try to you know build the stream stuff already to try to help us be prepared for the next you know point release like we already kind of take care of that so it's like we already have that but you know how sufficient how sufficient is that going to be for our distribution if say red hat like in your example like they decide to shut that stuff off like we thought far through it but we just haven't come to a this is our backup plan you know we Mm -hmm. don't it is something we we talk about I would I would say at least for like probably at least once a week ever since all this stuff came up we've so kind of what I'm hearing is in the event that Red Hat were to pull the source code the path forward would be very difficult for Rocky's current goals right it would it would be pretty difficult and that's and that's part of and that's part of why you know we're we're sitting there trying to think like okay well what is what is Plan B and. Sorry, and the ahead. reason the reason for that too and you bring up a good point is that we're the feedback that we've received from the folks that are using Rocky is that they are happy with our decision so far to continue doing what we're doing. That's what the project was started for and is a pretty strong conviction of the, the team leads group that, that uh, you know, ha- has kind of consensus over the Rocky Linux project. We do have a, a Rocky Linux board that's made out of the, the, um, the group there as well, but we're pretty committed to our initial goal. Um, whatever that may be. And we're we're also committed to rolling with the punches of, I don't want to say punches. I get what you mean. Not, not in a negative <laughs> way, but just rolling I, with yeah. the changes. I get I, it. Rolling with the changes. I, I use it, but I, I don't mean it in an aggressive or combative sense. Uh, but like, uh, we're, we're committed to continuing to fulfill that goal regardless of what it means. Whether it means having to uh, take an approach like Alma where they're staying compatible. Like we haven't made any decision, but we're, we're definitely committed to keeping our users satisfied with whatever it is and, and keeping up the high quality that we're, we're, I'm personally, right. which also comes from Red Hat, you know, <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, pride, pride from Red Hat there. It'll be interesting to see what um, Seuss's fork ends up doing to the mix of things yeah. when they get that up and running. I'm, you know, you guys have already said we don't really have a a concrete plan moving forward. It's just something to kind of mull around. I think in the background is there's going to be this hard fork, which is essentially doing a bunch of the lifting for you guys um, to the tune of ten million dollars. However, that is spent over whatever period of time but mm-hmm. at any rate there's going to be some full-time people working on this this seuss fork and it'll be interesting to see what impact that will have on the landscape 
actually i mean from a i mean from kind of a weird like geeky nerdy point of view i'm i've always get i'm kind of interested to see how that's gonna look right like like if i if i take myself out of the seat of developing rocky linux and just go back to me being me being an old sysadmin engineer like i was you know a long time ago like seeing that i'm like oh well that seems kind of interesting you know i you know and then i just kind of keep my eyes on it and and i'm always willing to try stuff and just take a look at like you know what they're doing and it's 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 kind of interesting and kind of fascinating because i kind of do wonder maybe not so much like the technical aspect of it, but more or less like, okay, well, how is it going to look? And like, and like you said, like, how is it going to, what, what kind of impact is it going to make if any? Right. And it's, it's kind of a, for me, it's a curiosity thing at this point. It's actually, this definitely goes back to when I was much younger trying Linux for the first <laughs> time, like, Oh, this seems interesting. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's bringing me back to, to that kind of a, kind of an optimistic view, I guess you could say. It'll be interesting to see whether they put um, any kind of opinion in it, because now that they've declared it to be a fork, uh, will they make some sort of opinionated uh, statement with it? Or are they going to just attempt to fork and track RHEL and how that's going to impact the broader community? Like, who yeah, knows? People might like too. the Seuss fork. Yeah, I, I wonder that, too, because because I if I, I I've not touched the the latest like Amazon Linux, because I, I think it's based off. I think that's based off of Fedora. Um, and you a know, bit of stream. Yeah, and a bit of stream, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So it's like I I I would imagine that's pretty opinionated, you know, so it's it's I would have to imagine maybe Suzo is going to have something fairly, you know, maybe not fully like 100 percent like you know, this is, you know, we got to change everything 100%, even though we're forking, I'd have to imagine maybe some opinions are going to be in there. And, you know, for better, for worse, I guess. And it's also, I think, a, a question that has come up in the uh, Apple steering committee, extra packages for enterprise Linux. Um, with Alma's decision, even Jonathan uh, was in the steering committee last week or the week before, um, you know, Saying that he's they're they're still intending to continue to support Apple on it, and, and so it's it'll be interesting to see how the the um, kind of more loosely associated uh, communities are shaken by this as well. Um, if there is enough divergence for tooling to have to change or anything like that, you know, there there hopefully won't be, but it, it's possible that there are more impacts to additional communities outside of even enterprise Linux. Um, because of this with with variations in how um things work <laughs> any interest in adopting the SUS enterprise fork of rel so they've said that they're going to go out kind of on their own they're going to do this thing and as part of that they one of the things that they've said they're going to do is is put it all out in the open so anybody can can do that if red hat becomes difficult to track and you can't make changes based on that would it make more sense to follow the uh, SUSE's lead? You know, it, it very possibly may. Um, it's, I, I guess, a question, right, of what our community wants and and how we would roll with those changes. Um, I, I think that there's more or less an infinite number of options on the table. Um, the tooling that we've built with SRPM proc and with our build tooling infrastructure, it doesn't really care per se where the sources come from obviously our users care the the people 
consuming the software, specifically in you know a supply chain security um, um, context, care where where the software is coming from. But our tooling doesn't necessarily care about where we're getting the the actual source RPMs from. Um, we've built it in such a way that it can customize in a repeatable fashion as long as we're able to give it you know RPMs. So um, we're positive uh, on the, uh, the the future of, of Rocky in, in that respect. Lewis Abel, the release engineer and lead for Rocky Linux, along with Neil Hanlon, the infrastructure lead for the RESF and Rocky Linux. Gentlemen, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you back on the program soon. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Thanks Steve. for having us. Appreciate it. The music in our ears, it means we're out of time. I thank you for joining us. If you'd like to keep up to date with the latest, follow us on X now, I guess. Also available at Twitter.com. I promise it's not an adult site. It's just a new name for Twitter. At Ask Noah Show, I'm at Colonel Linux. He's at Linux Ovens. You can get to the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow. We record live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Catch that at asknoahshow.com. We're back next week, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central. Have a good week. <laughs>